This is the Ask the Vet podcast series from Solar Power World. Welcome to another edition of Ask a Vet. I'm Kathy Zip, Managing Editor of Solar Power World. With the Section 201 trade case, it's very timely to be speaking to a U.S. panel manufacturer. And after 14 years at Solaria, I'm sure President and CEO Suvi Sharma has some interesting things to say. So at Solaria, Suvi was co-founder of Next Tracker and also founded a CRM provider and a volunteer organization. So I'm glad to have him here today. Suvi, thanks so much for speaking with me. Thank you, Kathy. Pleasure to be here. Now, I know there's some industry hot topics to get to, and we'll get to that in just a little bit, but I wanted to learn a little more about your background first. So I saw you went to Northwestern University out in Illinois. So are you from the Midwest? No, I'm, I was born in India, and then I emigrated as a, as a kid to Tennessee uh, and lived there for about eight years. I went to Northwestern because it was a great university with, with a wide range of schools and, and majors. When I had gone in, I, I actually had gone in to do artificial intelligence, which Northwestern had a very up-and-coming program, and I received a scholarship. I, I then changed to other topics, but that's, that's what drew me there. That's really neat. You wanted to go into AI. What kind of opportunities were you looking to do with that? Well, I was just very interested in it because it was fascinating. And, you know, there were so many different applications I saw. And for a while, I enjoyed programming. Two things happened. One is I really got tired of programming. More importantly, uh, I already began to see the moral dilemmas of artificial intelligence and, uh, you know, trying to create computers and robots to be more and more like human beings. Mm -hmm. It just didn't appeal to me. And, And so I decided that while there was some level of inevitability about it, I didn't personally want to spend my time and energy on that, and I'd rather do other things. And some of those other things ended up being solar. So kind of how did you move into that after you graduated? Definitely not a straight line path. I ended up doing my degree in mathematics and statistics, primarily just out of pure interest. I always liked that field of study, and you know, I was always good at math, and so it came naturally to me, and I decided to, to do that. But um, I ended up working in business and finance for a period of time in New York, and uh, but really that wasn't my cup of tea either. I found that it was just really all about making more money. I got more and more interested in business, but from the standpoint of doing something that I really believed in and that I felt like could affect a positive change in society, whether it be environmentally or socially. And really nothing married those two like solar did for me and also the, the opportunity that I saw in a, in a very large energy industry. I like uh, your emphasis on the, the ethics, really considering that from the artificial intelligence side and then also you know, business and, and investment financing side. It's really cool that you were looking for something that really meant something to you, way to spend your career doing something that you really felt strongly about. So was your first step into solar, was, was it with Solaria or did you do anything solar related before that? I was in more in the IT software arenas. And so as I wanted to focus on renewables, I decided to do some consulting work. I helped some companies uh, raise financing, which I had some background in, to really get smarter and understand the sector. And as I did that, I honed in specifically to solar photovoltaics because I saw that it had the greatest potential and promise. And at, at the time was very, very small. It was, it was insignificant uh, in terms of market share and growth and so on. So 
but I, but I saw that it could become a mainstream form of uh, energy generation in the future. Even about 14, 15 years ago, when I got interested in this area, I really saw three things as the key enablers for really what we needed to do on the energy landscape. One was photovoltaic solar. Second was storage, you know, batteries, and third is electric cars. And really those three things being the core foundations of reinventing our energy infrastructure, but in particular, you know, living a, a cleaner and greener world that, that was more sustainable. And so within that, I, I just gravitated towards solar. I was just interested in it. It's interesting when I, I remember even when I was a kid thinking how amazing it would be to, to do a solar company for some reason that always appealed to me. And then one day when I was looking at all these different areas, my wife said to me, why don't you just do solar? That seems like a really worthwhile area to, to, to work in. And, and the more and more I thought about it, I thought, you know, it's a great idea. And, and then uh, here I am. That's so interesting. I have to say, Subi, that you're the first person that actually said yes. When I was a kid, I did want to be in solar and own a solar company when I grew up, because <laughs> usually it's the opposite. <laughs> usually it's like, no, that wasn't my dream as a little girl or a little boy. But that's really cool that it, it was something that you thought about when you were little. Yeah. Were you a founder of Solaria or you were just there very early on? I was not a founder of Solaria. The company was founded around 2000 in New Mexico by Leslie Danziger and Paul Dempiewolf and a gentleman named Joel Goldblatt. So they were there and they'd known each other for many years and, and had some successes in the fiber optics area. And they started Solaria with a, a vision to make a solar panel that used less silicon cell material and leveraging electronics assembly techniques. Uh, and at that time, you know, silicon was really the, the dominant cost component in a solar energy system. As I was doing consulting, I actually came across Laria and I, I liked the ideas that they were pursuing. They were very early stage. They really hadn't even completed a full prototype. And so I decided rather than start my own company this time around to join and take over the company because so I took over the operations of the company and became CEO in 2003. That's great how you kind of started at the beginning and then kind of worked your way up as the company grew. I think it's interesting how you mentioned the three keys to the industry, the PV and the storage and the EVs. And really, those are just kind of starting to really gain traction today. So I've talked with other people in solar about, you know, needing to be patient to stick with the industry as you have. It's funny. I mean, it, in many ways, things took a lot longer than expected and you have to have patience. In other ways, the industry has grown a lot faster than anyone predicted, even back then. You know, in 2003, worldwide, there was less than 300 megawatts installed per year of solar PV. This year in 2017, we're going to reach almost 100 gigawatts, 100,000 megawatts. Wow. And if you look at all the analyst reports, their base case or conservative assumptions and their aggressive growth forecast. And the reality has been that it's grown faster than anyone's aggressive growth. Forecast. The growth has been phenomenal when you take a step back. What's taken a lot longer is how long it takes to commercialize new technologies in this area because it, it is an energy product. It's a 25-year warranty on the panels. And so the life cycles are longer than they are, in, for example, semiconductors. So it's not as rapid, but but at the same time, you know, there is definitely continued room for improvements and innovations, and we're, and we're seeing that. And back then, in 2003, I mean, it was really, I think of it as it was a cottage industry. It was very small. There were very few 
business people in it, except for literally retired utility executives uh, that wanted to do something different and, or maybe give back to community and so on. But mm-hmm. it, it wasn't anywhere where it, the scale and the and the type of capital now that's deployed in it. I mean, this it's a real business and it's 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 becoming dominant now in terms of new energy generating capacity being put in. So in many ways things took a while, but in other ways it grew bigger and faster than I think any of us back then really predicted. I joined when we started Solar Power World 2011. We used to put out, we still mm. do our annual handbook. It's kind of an industry overview. And we used to put in charts. And I remember my boss was like, okay, we're going to do all these solar projects, all solar projects, one megawatt and up. And we did. We did as many as we could. And I just think about doing that today, how how many pages and how impossible that yeah. would be. So even yeah. in the last seven years, I mean, what a difference. So really interesting. Yeah. I actually have a list of 100 megawatt projects and have a pretty good sized list. Exactly. We started to put a lot of things online because, you know, those lists were taking up lots of paper. Yeah. So then as, you know, silicon costs declined and solar panel production kind of shifted towards China, what was that like for your company and how has your business model changed to kind of allow you to adapt to that? You know, we went through some very difficult times in the industry and at Solaria. We commercialized a product that used less PV cell material than traditional panels, about 60% less, and we commercialized that. We produced and shipped close to 30 megawatts of that around the world. But silicon cell prices fell dramatically, module prices fell. The Chinese had billions of dollars of capital behind them to scale this up, ramp it up. They were selling product at very low pricing. Some would say dumping. I think that in many cases that was true, not in all cases, but certainly it became a, a not a viable business model to make a solar panel that used less cell material to make it cheaper. And so we had to retool in the company back about four years ago and you know went through a a very, very tough time, but we came out of it with a couple of key successes. Now, one is we developed in the course of that our own tracker technology, saw that we could create a specialized company to just focus on that and ended up creating Next Tracker. Initially, that was a wholly owned subsidiary of Solaria, and then we spun it out about four years ago. And at Solaria, then we, we had developed a lot of interesting technologies in cell processing and cutting cells and assembling them and making new types of solar panels. And we decided to evolve that technology and focus it on making products that were fundamentally better and different than what the industry made. And through that, we've ended up creating two new products out of that. One is for high efficiency rooftop applications where we have a really market leading product in terms of power and aesthetics and performance and price. And then the second is to new types of products that integrate solar into building skins, windows, skylights, facades, those types of applications where we can put solar into structures where it doesn't exist today. Because really our vision is to get solar everywhere. It's, it's one of the real unique elements of, of solar that it's ubiquitous and, and can embed itself into, into our built environment. So we're very focused on making that happen at, at Solaria. A couple of things that helped us survive and then succeed. One was we really focused on leveraging the industry infrastructure. So for example, we didn't try to reinvent silicon or new materials. We really tried to create products that leveraged and used silicon 
cell materials to make better products because we, we believed in silicon. Second is, I think we, we really just had a sheer willpower to see through this. So you obviously have been very successful in a very tough market. And you mentioned some of the technologies. You said you, you like to have the options for places where solar hasn't been developed. Interested if you have a niche where you found the BIPV works really well. Are those the areas where you think that there should be solar and see the unused space and the opportunity there? You know, building integrated solar, anyone that's been in solar for a long time, is always it's always been the technology of tomorrow. And it just has not come to fruition on any meaningful scale. And that's that's honestly still the case. There's analyst reports out there that talk about building integrated solar, it's, you know, billions of dollars and growing and it's not. I would say that, you know, right now, if you look truly building integrated solar, it's less than 30, 40 megawatts a year globally. So it's very small, but we do see it has huge potential. Photovoltaics now is close to 100 gigawatts a year. It's now the largest source of new power generation capacity being put in worldwide. So it's reached a very large scale. But if you look at all the flat glass made globally, 2% of it is used for solar panels. 80% of it is used in buildings. So there's a tremendous amount of glass real estate out there that does not have solar in it. You cannot approach it from a standard solar configuration. You can't make a solar panel that, you know, it's just slightly different and then and then it's going to take off in the building integrated realm because it's, it's a very different market. It's a very different ecosystem. You know, you have to have a lot more customization, aesthetic. But the couple applications that we found that are really conducive for how to get building integrated solar in, first is the whole move towards net zero energy buildings. There is a, a tremendously fast-growing market for net zero energy buildings. If you want to do net zero energy buildings, for the most part, you need to incorporate solar into the building skin. You just can't get enough on the roof for many uh, buildings to I get see. to. Second is, though, that you know, really what we believe is important but has not been done yet today, if you look at what succeeded for solar is it became a financial product in many ways, but whether it was through project financing or leasing, but that's what helped the growth of solar was, was really turning it into a financial product. We are working on doing the same thing with building integrated solar. For example, by having solar in the building skin, there's a holistic benefit that's had, not just by the energy generation, you also get a better energy efficiency. You reduce load on your HVAC system because just by having the solar cells embedded in the, in the glass, you can reduce the HVAC load by 20%. Wow. Um, we've proven that test at Lawrence Berkeley Lab. Aside from the energy generation capacity, the reason is that it improves the solar heat gain coefficient in buildings. Uh, silicon cells, silicon is basically a ceramic, one of the best insulators around. Second is that you can get rid of blinds because the way our product works is it's these thinly cut cells that are embedded in the glass. It provides some, some shading and, and you don't need blinds. And blinds are a pretty big expense in a lot of buildings. So yeah. you, you can save on yeah. other things beyond the energy generation. And then it, you also can take advantage of tax credits and accelerated depreciation that the building owners are not aware that they can do from the building facade or skin. So it's really a holistic financial value proposition that we've been working on. But the product has to serve a broad audience. So for example, architects, 
um, you know, spec buildings, the product has to look architecturally pleasing. And that's something that most building integrated solar products have not been able to do well. And that's something that we focus a lot on. So it's really taking all of those, it's a complex thing, but it's why we like it because it allows us to have a very unique differentiated product that as we do that, we can hopefully scale it in, in, in large formats and building skins in the future. And the question that we want to change is, you know, today some, someone may ask, well, why should I put solar in my building skin? It's complicated, I don't understand it. Eventually, once this starts to happen, I believe the question will become, why would I not put solar in my building skin if I can get all these benefits from it? Right. Just kind of looking at it more holistically, that would be a really cool choice for a lot of buildings. So kind of going along with that, a company that's looking at different types of solar technologies, I'm very interested in your view on solar shingles. I know that Dow tried it, didn't work out, Tesla's trying it. So do you see solar shingle technology taking off? I think that the solar shingle technology will continue to exist and I think it will grow, but I don't think that it will be dominant form of uh, rooftop power generation, at least in the next 10 years. We see that what's really going to be larger in terms of growth and market share is both retrofitting or putting panels on an existing roof, which exists today, and or incorporating the ability to take those solar modules with better and better and sleeker framing systems with different types of roof that can integrate more aesthetically than they do today. But as far as shingles, there's a lot of challenges in doing roof shingles because you've got a lot of point, interconnection points where the wires come out. That's some of the most expensive elements in those types of systems. And so while we do see there's a great opportunity for it in terms of a niche product and, and it can become a good product, but we see by far the, the majority of systems will go in with, with more standardized type solar panels on existing roofs, but many with new framing systems and all that we're seeing that can look better and better and be more flush with the roof and integrate aesthetically more. And then once that happens, then the need for doing roof shingles isn't as great if you want a good looking roof. We focus a lot on our panels to be really, really beautiful to begin with. That d does not eliminate the need for shingles, but it certainly reduces it for people that want an aesthetically oriented roof, which I think is important. You know, most customers we talk to want that. And so we think it's it's an important thing, but I, I just think that the complex logistics and cost and complexity trade-offs don't warrant currently, or at least in the next five, 10 years, shingles as being a mainstream solar product compared to standard panels. Right, very interesting. So I promised that I, I would ask your opinion on the trade case. As you can probably guess from the discussion so far, I really believe in proliferating solar. I mean, as much as solar has grown, it's still providing globally half a percent of the energy that we use. So it, it's still very, very small. So to me, the key is how to grow it. Trade cases do not help that. Trade cases generally hurt that because it makes it more complicated. It makes it more expensive, so on. We, we do believe, however, that that something will result from the 201 trade case in some form of, of tariffs, although it's still a little uncertain exactly how that will be done and how much and so on, but we expect that to happen. So we're preparing for it. Our preference would be no trade case at all. We can compete and are competing today with the current setup that exists. Assuming that the 201 trade case does happen, what we believe is is a net negative is if there's any tariffs on on solar cells or importing solar cells because there is no industry today to make solar cells on a large scale in the U.S., and it will take 
years to do that. Usually it takes two years to just plan a, a, a proper cell fad from, from the ground up. And so that means that if you have heavy tariffs on cells, it's going to have a very negative impact on the, on the solar industry. At Solaria, you know, we're, we're focused very much on the residential solar with our uh, rooftop panels. And so that's less susceptible to, to, to tariffs because the panel is a small part of the overall cost of the system, but still it will have an impact. And so uh, what we see is if anything, if there is anything, probably the only kind of tariff that would make sense is on, on importation of panels versus making panels, because we are making solar panels here in the U.S. We're ramping up. So we announced uh, three, four months ago that we put in more capacity to make solar panels here in the U.S., and, and we're going to keep increasing that. And that's something that the industry can react quickly to put in solar panel production capacity. And so we, we see that there could be reason to do that if done properly. But but in general, we'd prefer there just not to be any tariffs on solar products. Interesting perspective and cool that you're actually expanding production right now. And I guess we'll just have to see what happens because it is a little bit, as yes. you said, unclear. <laughs> I also think it's really cool that you are an entrepreneur. A lot of solar contractors are entrepreneurs as well. So I'm just wondering, what is some advice that you could give them? What I find very exciting right now that's happening is, especially when you look at residential and small commercial solar, you know, three years ago, you had three companies that, uh, that, that basically had 80% of the market, SolarCity, Sunrun, and Vivint. Today, the, the market has grown, and those top three have less than 25% market share combined. So what that means is solar installations has shifted away from a few big companies to many, many different smaller companies and regional companies. And A, that's, that I believe is, makes more sense from, a, from an efficiency standpoint, to be able to serve the markets regionally and locally in a business-like installation. But you know, really also small businesses and mid-sized businesses are, are really a bedrock of growth in the American economy. And and the fact that that's happening in solar installations to me is is a real sign of healthiness in the market and, and sustainability in the market. And so that's that's first off. I think that that trend is going to continue. And it's now in terms of specifically building out the business, I think it is competitive. And and the barriers to entry of doing solar installation are low. If I were in the shoes of a solar contractor, you know, the two things that I would focus a lot on. Number one is differentiation. You know, how can someone that's running an installation company, how can they differentiate? And that does not need to be necessarily technology differentiation, but it can be what kinds of products can I offer? What kinds of systems? Maybe certain types of roofs that are very challenging. Build a specialization in how to do that. So I think differentiation is really important. How to get really good at doing certain things, maybe certain types of roofs, maybe small commercial roofs as an area that that one can build a capability. So I think focus and specialization is really important so that as more and more installers get into this, one can build a niche and, and keep building a business out of that. And the number two is one thing I've seen a mix of in the in the installers, there's a wide range of how companies are managing their business, but cash flow management is really key in this business because it can be lumpy, uh, there's seasonality, and there are many installers that have gone out of business. First of all, all companies go out of business for one single reason, they run out of cash. It can be exciting to have growth and, and more projects and so on, but cash flow management is, is key. 
Very good advice. Yes, I hear a lot about cash flow, any kind of small business event or anything I've ever attended. They definitely stress that. We talked about how you've done some really neat volunteer work as well. I read that you worked in rural development in India, and then you founded a volunteer organization that trains college students to teach in inner city schools. So was that in India as well, or is that something separate? Teaching in inner city schools, that was in Chicago uh, when I was at Northwestern. When I was there, the Chicago school system was having one of its many crises, but even they were included, they were talking about shutting down many of the schools for an entire school year, which was just mind-boggling. Yeah. Uh, I mean, here, we, here, I, here I was at you know, Northwestern with tremendous facilities, saw immediately the inequality that was existing here right in our backyard. And so, and they had a shortage of teachers and things like that. So I had the idea of a few of us taking some uh, materials like from ke- the chemistry lab with working with professors and going there and teaching things like we take things like dry ice and, and show phase change, right? The things that the students there would never have been able to get hands on. And so we did that and it just ballooned and blossomed and and went from when I started doing it with three, I had taken three or four of my friends basically to do it to more and more people wanted to do it. And eventually we had uh, 200 college students going uh, every week to teach in the schools. And it became, uh, when I was there, the the largest volunteer organization at, at Northwestern and, you know, just filled a a nice need. I mean, we, we obviously the change we could make was small compared to the magnitude of the problem, but, you know, it definitely felt good that we could utilize the resources there to at least help in some way. And That's huge. That's a lot of people to manage, 200 people. <laughs> wow. Yeah, uh, quite an organization to manage, but it also gave me both a desire and interest and hunger to start something and, and lead something and also the confidence to do that. Well, I think that's all the time we have, but Suvi, it's been really cool speaking with you. Really interesting perspectives on solar. I really appreciate you being with us. Thank you, Kathy. You know, it was a lot of fun. This has been another edition of Ask a Vet. Join us each month as I, editor Kathy Zip, bring you the unique perspectives and insights of those who have spent more than a decade in solar. Thanks for listening to the Solar Power World podcast. Join us online for more podcasts, videos, and great editorial content at solarpowerworldonline.com. And don't forget to share your thoughts on social media. Catch you next month.